0: Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, little. Actually a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Dwight void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: We're just coasted, nickel by the low bit, dropped dead gorgeous with the smell of the ocean. Not a word, but yet the world didn't have a figure out. It was just me and her, that's what I was all about doing sixty and a forty, because I know what drives a man. First off, off these big Cincinnati it. trips. This guy started kissing heavy because nobody was around guy. with the hey. mascara. You were there, hey. I'm so tired. <laughs> From your
3: big, your big week and Anthony Masterson back from the All-Star Game. Episode number 52 of the Purple Dinosaur Podcast. Welcome, everyone. My hey, name is Tyler hey. His name is Anthony Masterson. Today we were brought in by Ronald Mack, a Denver-born hip-hop artist currently living in Fort Collins, Colorado, where he goes to school for audio production. He brought us in with the song Coastin today. Big thanks uh, to, who was it that submitted Ronald Mack this week? It was our good pal Jack Hire. Or maybe it's Hire. Oh, there we go. If it's hair, I'm sorry, Jack. I'm gonna say hire, uh, and I'll probably screw it up. One way or Maybe
1: we should hire somebody to like, uh,
3: know how to pronounce somebody's last name. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> I uh, got dad
1: jokes on lock this morning.
3: <laughs> You're killing them with the dad joke. So welcome in. It's episode number fifty-two of the Purple Dinosaur Podcast, where we talk all things Colorado Rockies baseball. And, uh, you know, it's there hasn't been a whole lot to talk about over the last week because the All-Star break feels like it's been a thousand years long.
1: Oh, really? When did you get back? Now.
3: When did you get back? From-
1: <laughs> I got back, uh, let's see, yesterday morning at 1 a.m. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I actually got to spend oh, okay. the full day after, or almost a full day afterwards on Wednesday in Cincinnati, saw some family and basically didn't have to wake up at 6 a.m. and fly out like everybody else.
3: Yeah, that's nice.
1: Like, I kind of set it up that way. Everyone was always like, why are you doing that? It doesn't make any sense. Why are you staying so late? So I don't have to be like you guys tomorrow, basically.
3: And at, at work, they're like, we don't need Masterson. He's going to come back on Thursday. We don't need him. It's fine. Yeah,
1: I, and I had yesterday off anyway because there was no baseball. So, yeah, yeah. I was just, you know, no living the life, man.
3: There was minor league baseball, Anthony. Some of us get paid, you know – the very small bucks to cover minor leaguers. Also, there's a hilarious video. If you go to dot right now, the San Diego chicken was in Iowa yesterday and was coaching in San first Diego, base, Iowa, in San Diego, Iowa, and was coaching first base and, uh, got a runner picked off. I just did freaked. he really, it's pretty great.
1: I mean, is that on the chicken or is that, on uh, it's the gotta be on the runner. To it's the gotta be on Matt Caesar
3: base. for, yeah, for not, uh, listening to his chicken first base coach. <laughs> <laughs> or for overly listening to yeah, no, I don't I
1: know. listening too much.
3: I don't know. Hey, episode number 52. Not a whole lot of contenders for episode number 52's namesake title today.
1: No, but one that I think we're going to have to use. Obviously, yep. Chris Russon wearing it this year. Joel Peralta right. in 2009. Um, Juan Murillo, who we've mentioned a lot random on this podcast yes, over the last we few have.
3: weeks. We have. From
1: 2006 to 2008. And I thought that's who Sh- you were
3: referring to, but then I saw.
1: Yeah, Sean Lowe in 2002. But then our good buddy John Thompson, John Thompson, nineteen ninety-seven to two thousand two Thompson without the P, right? I think Big he has to be our number fifty-two.
3: Yeah, I think you're right.
1: He John was a Thompson, seventh he, round pick. Yeah, you look at one of the uh, the wins above replacement leaderboards among pitchers <laughs> in Rockies history; he's way on there. Yeah, oddly he enough.
3: Sure does. <laughs> He sure does, John Thompson. <laughs> John Thompson uh, was on the roster at the same time as Mark Thompson. Yes, um, and that was always very confusing. I feel like today he would be like a broadcaster's nightmare since they can't figure out Bumgarner. I Bomb feel like there Gardner. would be a lot of a lot of peas thrown <laughs> into Thompson, which is not T H O M S O N. There, man, there were some names on that '98 pitching staff. Some, yeah. like, bad Rockies pitching names. Daryl Kyle was there. That was year number one with Daryl Kyle, Pedro Stasio. Uh And then Jamie Wright, who I always loved. Bobby Jones, John Thompson, Mark Thompson, Chuck McElroy, Mike DeJean, Mike Munoz, Kevin Ritz, Dave Veers, Curtis Laskanik. That's like an all-star roster. And Jerry Depoto. That's an all-star
1: too. roster of, oh, those guys. Yeah,
3: exactly. That's an all-star roster of bad <laughs> Rockies pitching names. <laughs> So welcome in the John Thompson Memorial edition uh, of the podcast. Uh, here's what we got in store for you today. uh short episode because Anthony's got to leave for work, whatever, with his real job. Yeah, now I get to go
1: back to work. So. I was
3: uh, I was working in, up until like 2 in the morning last night, and uh, all I was doing was like trying to give good vibes out west to get Ryan McMahon a cycle, but he didn't get it fell a, a triple but, shot but
1: he only had two home runs right
3: here's yeah no nah, well he had one but he's still oh, okay. he's still amazing
1: obviously tour game the other day then
3: yeah, yeah i think he did um and ryan Tapia reached in 11 straight plate appearances yes uh and was actually robbed of a base hit in his first plate appearance back that would have been 12 It would have been too shy of the california league record Jeez. but uh
1: Guy's yeah he's pretty, pretty good. good he's pretty that's pretty good well.
3: uh but here's, oh, the way two. ryan mcmahon
1: is his average up to 298
3: now yeah i know He's starting to hit. Tapia, by the way, is up to like 330. So 328. Yeah. <laughs> at what point does does Tapia get to hit his way out of the Cal League? He's batting – I tweeted the numbers out yesterday. Um, over his last month, I believe he's batting 376. Pretty good. It's pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. good, good. Let's talk uh, about the All Star game. To see him. Yeah, I let's, got ta- to let's see talk about the All Star game. game. Let's talk about the Futures game. We have Brian Kilpatrick, our good pal from Purple Row, coming up here shortly. uh We're going to kind of preview the second half. We have we have neglected our Purple Row family, and I feel so terrible. uh But our good pal BK coming up in about ten minutes or so. uh But yeah, All Star game. You got to go out. So, okay, so walk us through. You got there Friday. No.
1: Uh, Let's see. No, I got there Saturday. Got there Saturday.
3: Sunday was the Futures game. Let's talk about the Futures game first. Yeah, let's do it. Because that seems like the funnest event for, like, prospect nerdery. I mean, Um, it it
1: is. And what was cool about our set at Fox is that we were set up in right center field, like, right underneath the smokestacks. So we got to basically block that entire place off and watch games from our set, watch games from the places directly in front and so we got there, and Sunday was a you know, big setup day. But as a researcher, the only things that I have to get set up when I go to work on a remote location are uh, what's called a PL, so I can talk to the producers and the talent, uh, my printer, and then Wi-Fi. And that's pretty much it. Everybody else is locked in the, tr- in, like, the giant trucks in the bowels of the stadium, and they're miserable because those things are so tiny and claustrophobic, and they have to do so much like technical crap, and it's awful and i'm just sitting out there on the stage like hey can i get my printer set up and they're like okay here and then i'm like okay well guess that's there's nothing, nothing left to do but watch the futures game
3: that's <laughs> awesome yeah that is awesome
1: i mean i'm basically a one man like research crew there wrecking crew I, I was the only one there okay so that's cool that was pretty cool so so
3: what did you do during the futures game then you just got to watch because game, the futures was, game was carried by mlb network
1: Yes, so like so, we didn't have to right. you know, work that at all, clearly. But, um, so during the actual game itself, I was you know hammering away on an all-star packet, you know, putting together some notes and stats and stuff on all the players involved with in the game. But I was sitting up in our our set and watching the game, and. I got to watch everything go down. I saw Schwarber hit his triple, like, right in front of me. Um, I got to just stare at Tapia all day. Just
3: all day. Um, All day. All day.
1: But uh, the center field was cool because center field ended up being, um, for the American team, ended up being Bradley Zimmer, who was one of the top prospects in the Indians organization, who I also follow, and then Brandon Nemo. Brandon Nemo, one of the top prospects in the Mets organization, is actually from Cheyenne,
3: Wyoming. I was going to say, did you just yell out Wyoming things to him? Like, i kind of did uh what uh, cattle and- hey remember the
1: escalators that we uh-
3: have the two in our state one of them <laughs> one of them still isn't working right jackson hall and the thing with the antlers <laughs> is that true one of them isn't working
1: <laughs> yeah um apparently craig gold's was having a discussion i think around thanksgiving time with some family about the state of wyoming and how it only has two escalators so he literally texted me and said i need verification on this i want to sound really smart at dinner
3: you know that's funny um pdp one of our original loyal followers slash fans slash very intelligent baseball minds uh at danielle 5757 uh her one of her friends is from cheyenne as well or is from casper and when i told her that did not believe me at all this friend from casper and then was like well yeah i mean i guess we got that one in the bank and then like yeah. was going through the actual escalators and i was like oh you can name you can name all the other we have more than that in cherry creek mall i think
2: but it's yeah, you know
3: it's a flat whatever it's a, you, it's a flat you, area you yeah, until you get to the mountains you don't need escalators in the mountains i like it you don't need escalators so did you and brandon and Mo bond over that
1: Clearly. Also, it's uh, Nemo,
3: apparently. Uh, it was it, his brother went to Nebraska when I was there and it was Nemo for him, but his Twitter handle is at you found Nemo, so it has to be Nemo. Brilliant Twitter yeah, handle. Yeah, which is fantastic. So uh, yeah. But so did you get to bond with him? A
1: little bit, yeah. Okay. You just so, shared a moment. Yeah, we did. I was like, Hey Brandon, Wyoming and he goes, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, one of those kind of things.
3: What's your state nickname?
1: The equality state.
3: The equality state
1: the first to let women the right to vote.
3: Oh, okay. Huh. Who knew?
1: Well, m- most people who oh. have ever studied US history.
3: Well, no, m- most people from <laughs> Wyoming maybe. <laughs> that's, that's like seven people.
1: Well, we're known for as the equality state because we had the first JC Penny in Kemmerer back in the
3: <laughs> 1800s. Um all right, so so Nemo <laughs> and uh the Schwarber triple and all that. And like the
1: celebrity softball game went on right after that. Um Like, uh, Vladimir Guerrero went, like, four for four with four homers (laughs) in this (laughs) Liberty softball game, which is absurd.
3: That is great. Also, Uh, I heard Snoop almost got killed in that. Snoop
1: uh, tried to rob a home run and eventually, like, hit his, like, knees on the wall as he was jumping over and flipped over the fence.
3: And he also apparently almost got drilled in the head by an errant throw because uh, one of my my pals... uh, who lives here now was like, do you watch that uh, celebrity softball game at all? And I was like, no. And he's like, I can't believe they don't make them wear helmets because Snoop hit a grounder to third and somebody came up firing and missed the first baseman and it missed Snoop's head by like a quarter of an inch. Ooh, Which, you know. That's a good point. Brian you know. Regan has a good bit about, you ever been hit in the face by a softball? You're not like, hey, that's downy soft. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to check out the celebrity softball. Yeah. Who you, else you was there? What other celebrities?
1: Uh, like Macklemore. Was Chris
3: Christie and his Fupa there?
1: <laughs> no, Macklemore was <laughs> McLemore there. Macklemore was there? Bob Riggle. Uh like well, MLB network people like Sean Casey oh, okay. was there. Uh, Sean Casey had one of the highlights of the weekend. He actually. Did. I'm sure he they've did. shown it on MLB network a ton. I, haven't I saw seen it, it
3: when it actually happened. And I was like, wait a minute. Was that Sean Casey? Sean Casey caught. I think it was a Todd Frazier home run ball. Yeah,
1: it was a foul ball. And he uh, saved the life of Chris Rose. Did he really? <laughs> who was sitting there like next to him? Like would have hit Rose in the face.
3: They very quickly on ESPN cut showed Sean Casey holding the ball up and celebrating. And I was like, wait a minute. Was that Sean Casey yeah. just now? What? That was pretty And awesome.
1: then like John Smoltz apparently said it was one of the greatest defensive plays he has ever seen.
3: <laughs> John Smoltz uh Andrew Jones in the prime of his career and also Sean Casey at the home. And run also
1: game. Sean Casey at age like 45 <laughs> catching a foul ball at a home run derby.
3: All right, so Futures game was Sunday that was awesome. Monday the home run derby yes. was like the winner of the week. The home run derby I, was amazing. Now I'll be I honestly to see...
1: have to say that I have never been at a sporting event with that kind of excitement before in my life
3: that is awesome
1: it was it was incredible the atmosphere was absolutely electric it was ridiculous I, I MLB killed it this year with the new format and thankfully they the weather was coming in because uh they were going to have those five minute rounds I think five minute would have been overkill right. I think you're right I think it a would favor. Be great. Yeah, still.
3: I was interested because Anthony Rizzo led things off, and you could tell toward the end of his first round he was starting to get tired. And that was what I was waiting to see was if he walks away, is he just going to, like, collapse? And he did walk a few steps away and then put his hands on his knees and started breathing, exaggerated, but showing how exhausting that is to just stand up there and try to mash for four minutes straight.
1: Yeah, I mean, pools basically just stopped. Yeah. for, for, For... For one reason or another, had this in the second round. He was like, "Yeah, you know what, Jock, you're good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you can take this one, buddy. All
3: right, whatever. You're young, <laughs> you're yeah. young bucks. Um, but, but I, I that format, yeah,
1: was. Uh, awesome. I would say the only other sporting event I've been to that had that kind of atmosphere was 2007 ALDS game one with the Yankees and Indians at Jacobs Field. That's cool. It was the Indians' first time in the playoffs in six years. Yankees in town. You know, Indians should have made the World Series that year against the Rockies. Didn't happen, yeah. and then we saw how that ended. Yeah, that was um, yeah. That was really but it was it was ridiculous. I've never been to Home Run Derby. Never really cared about it at all because it's mostly boring for the most part. But the cool thing was when you're watching it, you're seeing all these guys like you know, swing, swing, swing. These guys probably made thirty to forty outs rejects. around. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and and in the old format, that was it. Like you see, you know the old format. Oh, you, your guy takes two pitches. You know, hits a grounder. Takes four pitches. Like hits one almost to the wall. Like
3: there is no immediacy in the old no. format. And, and it, I, you
1: know, I still can't believe that. So cool. Peterson so set it up with fourteen homers. And I know. And lost.
3: That's insane. Oh. I mean, nothing will ever beat Josh Hamilton that round that he had at Yankee Stadium. But see,
1: and but we have had this discussion a lot, actually. um... Old formats of the Home Run Derby created iconic moments. Yeah. Like with Josh Hamilton. They didn't create momentous occasions that's like probably true. the whole derby. Yeah. The whole derby was awesome from front to back, really, for the most part. And, you know, Josh Hamilton had that great run in 2008 at Yankee Stadium. It he lost win. that Home exactly. Run Derby. He didn't even win the derby.
3: Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, the, uh, the thing I really liked about this format was it made it feel instantly – Like, every swing was valuable. And somebody noted yesterday, I was reading a a thing on... I think it was on Deadspin, about uh, how even the the rule that you had to wait for the ball to land before they could throw the next pitch, that increased the suspense. Because that was like, as you started getting down to the last seconds of a round, you're like, oh, man, is this ball going to come down? It was so cool. Now, uh, I think it was Barry Picheski yesterday at Deadspin kind of rained on everybody's parade and didn't mean to, but he said, like, I'll be interested to see how this feels when it's not in a ballpark that was basically designed to host a home run derby. Well, I think we'll that's true, because it'll year. be, exactly, in San Diego right. and Miami over the next couple of years, uh, it'll be, you know, a different story. But still, I mean, I think, too, you probably get a lot more guys interested now, because the format is so much more exciting. I agree, You know, completely. Oh, That must have been fun. And then the game itself the next day.
1: Well, I mean, and this is with... Everything that was going on this weekend with the weather in Cincinnati, too. I mean, I, we, you tweeted out the picture of <laughs> me just hiding under the bowels of the stadium. Yeah. So on on Monday, we're having our production meeting at one thirty with all the talent in there. You know, it's it's all the, the producers and whatever. And then, you know, Pete Rose, Frank Thomas, Kevin Burkhart, uh, Harold Reynolds popped by during that time as well. Um, and so we're having the meeting, whatever, what we're going to do for the show that night. And then somebody runs into the trailer, which was sitting underneath the stadium as well, but still probably about 100 feet um, from the actual bowels of Great American Ballpark. So we're covered in everything, but we're right next to the street where the opening is. And somebody runs in and says, hey, guys, there's tornadoes in the area. We're being evacuated underneath the stadium. So we go, oh, OK. And you open up the trailer door and it lo- it's like a wall of water just hit you. It's one of those kind of things, because the winds were gusting at about 50 to 60 miles an hour. You had just an absolute monsoon coming at you. Like, I ran outside to get underneath the the, uh, stadium. I was outside for maybe three and a half seconds, and my clothes were wet four and a half hours later.
3: Yeah, it did not seem like it was... I figured at least one of those events was going to get postponed. I can't
1: believe they didn't.
3: Yeah, and, and like, not even delayed, you know?
1: Yeah, the only thing that got canceled was our one-hour MLB Whip Around show on Tuesday on the All-Star Game Day. I blame you. Because... Another storm came in that day in the middle of the day and started blowing everything to pieces at our on our setup there. And if there was lightning within an eight mile radius of our set, we could not be on the set because the entire thing was metal. And we're you know sitting yeah. underneath the giant smokestacks that are metal.
3: <laughs> so that's fun. Um yeah. yeah, no, it seemed like it was gonna be a much more challenging week weather wise than it ended up being, yeah. Which is good. But
1: so the a- actual All Star game itself, you know, we get there. It's funny, we were pulling, you know, probably 12, 13-hour days every day that we're there on remote. So we get there to the ballpark at like 11, and, you know, meetings at one thirty or whatever, and then we go get everything set up, ready to go. Obviously, the weather comes in, delays everything. We finally get on the air at 7, do like a 45-minute pregame show with Pete and Frank and Kevin Burkhart, and then we head down, we have to go head down and, you know, prep during the game. So I actually got to watch the first inning on set and saw Trout's homer. Etc. But then he had to go down, and so what that ended up doing for me was that I went to the green room, that trailer that we were in where we got evacuated from, and watched the All Star Game with Pete Rose in Cincinnati.
3: That is awesome. Yeah, that is awesome.
1: But the, the stuff that happened before the game, the, the introductions that he had um, when the the Living Four, you know, franchise Living Four, or whatever yeah. came out when it was uh, Bench, Mays, Aaron, and Kofax, with koufax throwing the first pitch to Bench. I mean, how do you not get chills with that? It was it was incredible.
3: That was really cool. That was a really cool thing. I mean, I know everybody complained, you know, that Barry Bonds wasn't there, or whatever it is, but it was you know, it, it was a point, very cool idea. It. And yeah. and not only that, but like you know, it it's a way that Major League Baseball. They're they're honoring their own. It's not like it was some actual award that no. people were given. It's just a way for Major League Base. Really, I mean, I think the entire it's franchise. It's like getting snubbed thing... for an SB. Who cares? Right, exactly. Yeah. I think the entire franchise four thing was devised as a way to get Pete Rose there to have an excuse sure. to be like, okay, this is how we're going to honor Pete Rose. Sure. But, you know, it, and it worked. Everybody's got to complain about something always. Exactly. So, very yeah, you know, was there,
1: come on. It was a sensational weekend. It was Tremendous That's all awesome. the way around for front to back. Cincinnati did a, a phenomenal job. Of getting everything together. Like, I had been to their, uh, to Great American Ballpark in 2008 for a Rockies Reds game. And okay. that, that riverfront area around there in 2008 was a ghetto. It was not a fun place to be around. You went to the ballpark, you left. It was kind of like where Coors Field was in Lodo right. before Coors Field got there. It was a, not a good place to be. And right now, it's all, you know, your typical restaurants, breweries, chains, but they've really like built up the actual park itself right near the Roebling Bridge where they've you know put in, like, playgrounds and fountains and gardens. Ooh. And you have the Bengal Stadium uh, right there. Then you have uh, Great American Ballpark. Then you have the U.S. Bank Arena where the University of Cincinnati used to play. So that part of the area has really, really been built up, and it is very, very nice.
3: That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. it was a very fun week. I mean, it was a cool – the events went off really well. Even the game was good, you know. I mean, it's – again, it's frustrating if you're a a National League fan, but, uh, you know, it's not like we have to worry about a home game seven. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, speaking of which, we're going to talk a little Colorado Rockies baseball on this Colorado Rockies baseball podcast. And our good pal Brian Kilpatrick will do the honors from Purple Row. We haven't talked with BK in a long time but he joins the show next. Somehow all season long we have neglected to include our good pal Brian Kilpatrick of Purple Row because we are jerks like that. So we're checking in with a boss man from Purple Row here on episode number 52 the John Thompson Memorial edition of the show. BK, welcome back.
4: How are you, man? Uh things are things are good. Uh sorry for being as elusive as winning baseball at Coors Field. <laughs> Well, you've got an excuse
3: because you have like two very small children at home, right?
4: I do. Yeah. I have a a two-year-old and a five month old so yeah i don't sleep
3: well see that's fine because uh, watching terrible baseball makes people lose a lot of sleep as well so we're all very adept at doing that uh but
4: bk let's talk
3: uh, about the way that things are headed toward uh, the trade deadline toward where we are at this point in the 2015 season uh i think we're we're sort of getting to the point where for the rockies it's almost piss or get off the pot time uh and i want to know for the sake of argument let's say you've got the reigns if this is the Brian Kilpatrick plan to get toward the trade deadline two weeks from now and to move this team forward toward the end of the 2015 season into 2016, what is your plan? What do you do? And beyond that, what logically and realistically do you think will actually happen for this team?
4: Okay. I'm running this organization. Uh, I'm trading the following players. I'm trading Carlos Gonzalez. Uh, I'm trading John Axford. I'm trading LaTroy Hawkins, I'm trading Rafael Battencourt, and I'm trading Jorge De La Rosa.
3: I noticed there's one name conspicuously absent from that list. Correct. One Troy Trevor Tulewitzki.
4: That is the that is the triple T. Uh, and he, you know, I, I said this at the beginning of the season, and I could probably talk be talked out of it now, but I still happen to believe it, that he can be part of the Rockies next contending team and uh i don't i still don't think whatever return they might be able to get would be worth losing him um and i still believe that and and, and like i said i still think there's enough there's enough moves that can be made to where you can keep him and you can still focus on building a winner a couple years in the room
3: all right, so give me this. Of those guys that you named, and it's funny because a lot of people will think, like, oh, what are you going to get for John or What are you going to get for Rafael Betancourt, whatever. Those guys, I mean, obviously, Axford has struggled a little bit as of late. Betancourt hasn't been necessarily as effective as, you know, he has been at times this season, hasn't been season long. But Latroy Hawkins has only given up one run over his last 14 appearances, I think. So there does exist some value in those guys. If you were going to make those deals – What's the target? What is the goal to make those successful, acceptable deals for this team to push for or to make happen before the trade deadline? Or even, you know, deals for somebody like Carlos Gonzalez or or, or Jorge De La Rosa?
4: Well, I think you can point to kind of what the Rockies started to do this past offseason. Um, of course, you know, you look at pretty much any form of media, anything else, they'll tell you, hey, Jeff, Jeff Breidich and the whole Rockies organization just Sat on their hands, didn't do anything this past off season, and on the surface, that's kind of true. But one thing that you can kind of see that they started trying to do was acquire some power arms, uh, power relief arms, mostly. Um, you know, so it looks like maybe they're trying to go away from having so many guys in the bullpen who are reliant on on getting weak contact, because you know, as you know, that doesn't work really all that well at Coors Field. Um, it has in the past, but a lot of these guys are still power arms. They throw hard, but they can get good sync, and, and that works a little bit better. But, you know, having guys like Latroy Hawkins and, and and Christian Friedrich, Brooks Brown, these kind of guys who, you know, can't miss a ton of bets, I mean, that that's something the Rockies probably want to go away from in the future. And I think that's what they started to do this past offseason, getting austin house and jairo diaz and, and some guys like that so i think that that's kind of what you can look for in return for guys like hawkins and Axford and maybe even baton court you might be able to shoot a little higher um as far as what you can get for carlos gonzalez and jorge de la rosa and then also one name that i didn't mention before but you might be able to think about dealing because you are be selling high on him right now is charlie blackman you can shoot for the stars a little bit for those guys you might be able to if you especially with the cargo deal you might be able to eat some money and maybe get yourself a potential future number three starter or something like that in return and and uh you know the same with with trading de la rosa who the rockies could have gotten eduardo rodriguez for last year at this time and then uh charlie blackman as well
3: It's like so brutal thinking about that Rodriguez deal because not only was he brilliant to start the year in AAA, but he's been very good at the major league level in the Red Sox organization where he ended up going uh, last season. And uh, yeah, it's kind of one one of those ones you don't really want to think about.
4: It's rough. I would love to talk to somebody about that and and somebody being Dick Monfort and kind of find out what the train of thought was there. I mean, you kind of understand it because De La Rosa, you know, he's been so good at Coors Field. He's been so good. Period. Really, if you look at everything as a whole but you got to you got to look at improving your ball club at some point too and being realistic which which this office hasn't always been
3: BK what do you think the realistic Approach to this deadline is because you know I mean obviously this has been a, a hot topic for a while now around town for people that observe this organization and I think it's the first chance that Jeff Briden truly really has to start putting his stamp on the way he wants the Major League roster to look. Uh, you know I've I've been on ESPN Denver a handful of times in the last few months and every single time the conversation turns to who's going to get traded, is Troy Tulowitzky going to go, is Carlos Gonzalez going to go, but the trade deadline for the Rockies has never really been something that's been a massive watershed changing type of moment. What do you think that the first deadline under Jeff Bridges is just going to look like?
4: Yeah. And I, it's, it's hard for me to sit here and say that this year is going to be different um, because it's, it's kind of the same, man. Like it's, it's, they're going through an identity crisis again. they're here. They sit 10 games under 500, but they're only seven and a half out of the wild card. So, you know, it's, it's going to be hard and I understand this, it's going to be hard for the front office to essentially sit down and tell these players and and Walt Weiss and everybody else, Hey, we think seven and a half games is too much is too insurmountable of a deficit. We're going to start selling guys off. I mean, that's hard to do, you know, especially with a bunch of veterans on your roster, but they've got to get realistic at some point. I think Breidich is different. I hope Breidich is different and and I think reading between the lines a little bit of what he said to Groke, I think maybe that says that, yeah, we're going to, we're going to sell off some parts that we can't use for the future. And God, I hope he does it. Cause they, they, they've got to do something. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking change just for the sake of change. Although maybe I kind of am because it's not only are they a bad team, they might be one of the most boring teams as far as like following transactions and things like that. But, but you know, it's, it's it's just it's time that the identity crisis has to stop. This is who you are. You're a, even when you're healthy. They're proving that this year everybody's healthy. They're still bad even when you're healthy. You're a 75-78 win team perpetually, and that's just not good enough.
3: I think the other difficult thing here too is the fact that you don't have a front office that's ever going to commit to what the Houston Astros did, where they say, you know what, we're going to blow this up, we're going to be terrible for three years, but we're going to stockpile very good talent in the draft. We're going to work hard uh, in our amateur signings, our international signings, and we're going to figure out a way to build something sustainable from within. Because there's always this mantra coming out of spring training every year of, no, we want to be competitive on the field. We want to put a product out there that people can be proud of that is going to be contending late in a season. So there's never the ability to fully embrace like no this isn't working we need to try something different but that being said I mean they do have two very large trade pieces in Troy Tulowitzki and Carlos Gonzalez I still don't see a scenario in which those two guys are both gone period uh and I don't think it's just at the trade deadline I don't I don't see that they open 2016 with a roster devoid of Carlos Gonzalez and Troy Tulowitzki. am I wrong
4: yeah, they won't part with both of them. Um and like I said, I, I think it will be Tulowitzki who stays. And like and like I also said I think that they can they can still build something with him here, but but yeah, they're uh, <laughs> it's just it's just really hard to to envision like you said they're not they don't have to blow up they're not going to blow it all up. The jury's still out on whether they have to. I don't think they have to blow the whole thing up, but they're not going to do it anyway. So it's almost a waste of energy to even talk about it. But uh, yeah, the one thing that sticks with me though, and I, and I said it on, a, on an interview I had yesterday, is that never in the last five, six years had we heard anyone actually come out and say, Hey, if we can't get it done this year, then we're going to make some changes. And Walt Weiss actually said that prior to this season. Um, and so that, I keep hanging on to that, and I keep going back to that, and, and we'll see if it actually, anything actually comes out of it. But, but no one actually said that before, so that has to give a little bit of hope.
3: When you look at this roster right now, I mean, the Rockies are set in a lot of areas. I mean, starting pitching is always going to be an issue here. The bullpen is always going to be an issue here. But position player-wise, outside of those two spots, if you look at this roster, what is the biggest position of need for the Rockies? Because, I mean, obviously around the infield, you've got Gold Glovers at third, at short, at second. You've got a solid outfield as it stands right now. Even if you trade Carlos Gonzalez, I mean, having Corey Dickerson hurt certainly doesn't help. But even if you trade Cargo, you have some depth. Uh, You have guys coming up and David Dahl and Rymel Tapia what is right now the biggest position of need for this offense going forward ben paulson's been good uh over at first base tommy murphy is a catching prospect they're very high on what do you see as being that big piece as far as the position player puzzle goes
4: well you said you mentioned it you know generally a major league team isn't going to worry about first base a ton um pretty much every free agent contract signed by a first baseman in the last like 350 years has been bad. Um, So you're not going to go out and sign a first baseman like to a long-term deal. You don't want to bring in a guy who's, you know, produce for a long time. And then all of a sudden is going to fall off the face of the earth. Like every first baseman does, but it's a little bit more important for the Rockies to, to settle on someone for that position. Um, A lot of it has to do with their pitching approach. You know, if you're going to keep, bringing in ground ball guys, pitch to contact guys, or whatever that makes your first baseman a little bit more important than, you know, then that position will be on some other team. And and they're not going to have more. No. And Ben Paulson, great guy. He can hit a little bit, but he's not, you know, he's not a full-time major leaguer. Julian Rosario is just not going to work there. So they, they do need to figure out something and, and they did a good job, I think with, getting more in as a short-term solution obviously him getting hurt isn't something that you plan on and but, but you know they might have to do a little something like that get another stop gap in there because I don't unless they feel that Kyle Parker can play the position and hit at the major league level then they're not they're still going to be in a little bit of trouble there going into next year and then the back end of the bullpen they've got to get settled too because they should be trading X for trading Betancourt Um, continue, you know, they need to spend the rest of this season seeing what they really have in Rex brothers, but they're going to have to figure out something there as well.
3: All right, Brian, somehow we have made it to 15 minutes into this interview or however long it's been, and we have not asked or discussed the question of all questions, Uh, and that's this. John Gray has yet to pitch in a major league game, and uh, I think we thought it was coming a long time ago. I think a lot of people thought it was coming a long time ago. It hasn't come yet. It could be coming Sunday. Uh, As of right now, the Rockies are listing their starter as TBD, and he's scheduled to throw in Albuquerque. Make of that what you will. But the Rockies took John Gray with the third overall pick in 2013, a fire-breathing type of guy, a mid to upper 90s type of fastball, uh, a wipeout ridiculous slider, and then in somewhat very Rocky's fashion, brought him into the organization, said, tone the fastball down a little bit, learn how to throw this changeup, pitch to some contact. Now, I don't know if that's entirely the case this season, but I think it does maybe concern you a little bit in that you don't really know what you're going to be getting when you see him at the major league level. We've seen so many organizations do this to guys and kind of throw them off developmentally. I mean, we've talked about it a lot with Tyler Matzik. You bring a guy in because you like what he did before the draft, and then you try to change everything he does after the draft. When John Gray gets here, inevitably, in like 2022, what are we going to see? What is the John Gray that we are going to see when he finally breaks through to the major league level?
4: Well, I do think we're going to see him sooner than later. Um, you know, I know, I had a long conversation with Daryl Scott, the Albuquerque's pitching coach, and they didn't come right out and say it, but he alluded to the fact that Gray's very close. They like where his development's headed. They really like how he overcame the adversity early in the season, and he's, you know, outside of like two starts, he's been wiped out since May 1st, so you know, that's promising. So they like what they see. They, they like the development of his, of his secondary pitches, um, And he's still a little bit, at least pitching with training wheels on. And I think once they get him to the big league level, he won't be anymore. So I think we might see a little bit of a different guy. He'll probably be a little bit amped up. He's going to have some command problems, but you know, he's, He can probably slot in and be the Rockies' second-best pitcher right away. Um, There's little doubt in my mind. Um, But as far as when exactly we'll see him, could be this weekend, could be a month or two from now, but we're going to see him in, in 2015.
3: Does he lead this rotation coming out of spring training next year? Because I think as of right now, I mean, you hope to get a, a rejuvenated, reincarnated Eddie Butler if he continues the learning curve that he's had in AAA where he's had some really good appearances over the last uh, the last recent stretch with the isotopes. Uh, I mean, Jorge De La Rosa obviously is still going to be there. But is John Gray your top talent? Is he your number one guy going into 2016? When they break camp, is he going to be the guy who slots into that spot at the top of the rotation?
4: Uh, I think so. um I think if, if things continue the way they are now, and Chad Bettis keeps pitching well, he might be the next guy in that revolving door of opening day starters. Um, but you know, aside from all the pageantry and, and and everything of that, like you know John Gray's gonna be the best pitcher, probably on the roster out of spring training next year. you know they, they may not they may not pitch him on opening day, like I said, but he's gonna be. Other than that, the definition of their number one starter, I I, I do believe that so especially if they decide to trade De La Rosa, which they if they get anything close to the offer that they had last year, they they've really got to pay a little bit more uh, more credence to that.
3: He is Brian Kilpatrick the man the myth the legend you can follow him on Twitter at purple row BK you can follow purple row on Twitter as you may have guessed at purple row and uh, BK it's so good to talk to you man it's been it's been forever I feel like we're sending out a, a cross-border hug here uh, to welcome you back to the show
4: hey I hope I see you again in person soon uh, have to get a couple of cold ones and and tell Anthony I'm glad he made it out of Cincinnati.
3: I will absolutely do that because there, there was a few dicey hours there where he tweeted at us and said, send help, and then I didn't hear from him for, like, a handful of hours. So, you know, I thought maybe he got swallowed up by a tornado. But uh, no such luck. I, I think we would have been fine. You and I would have hosted the show together. It would have been great. But, uh, you know, we love Anthony, I guess. Yeah,
4: yeah. We would have been all right without him. But, you know, it's, it's probably for the best that he's sticking around.
3: Brian, thanks, buddy. We'll do
4: it again soon. All right, man. Take care.
3: Big thanks to our pal Brian Kilpatrick and his tattoos for coming on the show
1: today. Crian Bill Patrick.
3: Crying Bill Patrick. <laughs> He's a good man. He's a good man that Brian Kilpatrick. Uh you can follow him on Twitter by the way at Purple row b k where he tweets presumably from his mother's basement blogger. Am yeah. I right. Am I right? Little boy though? blogger. Little hot dog boy blogger. Um yeah, that's uh First post-All-Star break edition of the show, grinding through that second half. Hashtag rise and grind.
1: Hashtag blessed.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> we, uh, did, by the way, did you uh, did you tell Jesse Spector of our love for him?
1: I didn't. I actually didn't see him after that, unfortunately. <sighs> see?
3: That's why you can't miss these opportunities. I know. When I was uh, I was in North Carolina a couple weeks ago, um, USA Baseball was taken on Cuba, and I um, – saw this guy named – what is his name now? Now I'm already forgetting his name. Uh, Peter Bjarkman, who is a writer. He kind of writes for himself and just covers Cuban baseball. And uh, he – like, as a guy who I've read for a very long time, used some of his stuff as scouting reports on players that, you know, came through the Carolina League or the Eastern League or Cuban players or whatever. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going to go introduce myself to that guy. Introduce myself to him. He could not have been more of a jerk. And it's really? like, yeah, which is so surprising to me. Like, it's one thing if you, you know, work for a media outlet or something and you yeah. think very highly of yourself. But, like, when you're kind of like a self-employed dude who's just made a little cottage industry out of... Figuring out stuff about Cuban baseball players, and somebody says like, "Hey, really enjoy your work," and you just have zero interest in hearing from that person or talking to that person. I was like, "Man, this is surprising. Like, you're not cool enough, man. To <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, nobody here knows who you are, and I'm actually coming up to say hello to you. You're not that cool." No, I don't know. One of the
1: funniest things, though, was this weekend was just seeing this, the massive amounts of people who I vaguely remember from, you know, newspapers or, you know, blogs or from, you know, regional networks across the country Little showing up, like, at the hotel boy. bar going like, oh, yeah. Like, I, I know that guy, I think. But they just get guys like, guy. you know, like Peter Gammons. Like, I was right in the taxi line behind Jason Stark. Oh, and, okay. Know, see, seeing, like, Rob Nyer and Brian Kenny going toe-to-toe, like, at the hotel bar. You know, on whatever that they were talking about. That was fun too. So all that kind of stuff was it was a really good people watching this weekend, of course.
3: Have you um have you gone to the winter meetings? Have you done the winter meetings thing?
1: Uh yes. I did it in Vegas my first year in O eight. And oh, okay. I also did it in Indianapolis the next year.
3: Um, because that is that like if you want to go just hang around yeah. and see baseball faces, that's the place to go. The winter meetings is like you're just walking around. It's like oh, there's Tommy Lasorda, there's Billy Bean, there's Scott Boris, there's like there and they're just like hanging around, just like standing in a hotel lobby, yep. for an entire week. And or That's pretty
1: much what it was. Kind of on steroids, though. That's cool. you know
3: don't say that. Baseball. Business. Oh God,
1: <laughs> what a faux pas! You can't do that
3: uh well awesome today we were brought in by our good pal jack Heyer or hayers friend ronald mac ronald mac you can find on soundcloud soundcloud soundcloud.com slash ronald mac that's mac big thanks to those guys for getting in touch for the show today and uh until next week when anthony gets us pete rose
1: hey i talked to pete a lot this weekend he seemed very very excited about (laughs) force wall's chance to becoming a fringe major leaguer
3: oh i thought you were gonna say he seemed very very excited about coming on the purple dinosaur podcast
1: uh, no, Basically, I told him about you and he, do... he, he, he said that he didn't sound like he didn't like the sound of your name.
3: Basically, you're saying that you did not do the one thing that you're supposed to be doing pretty much. That is correct for this free employment podcast yes. that you are on. Good. By the way,
1: one last stat to go out on today. The yeah. Rockies in the second half have the hardest strength of schedule good. in the National League West, play 23 games on the road against teams that are over 500 right now. So, uh, hey, that's good. Got a, got a. Gotta, gotta, gotta look forward to that one. Hey, that's good. Um, but hey, do you know Tulo's reached base in thirty-eight straight? That is uh, the second. That's fun. It's tied for the second longest single season mark in franchise history, behind Holiday in 07 and Kadier in 2013.
3: They are. Uh, they have a few silver linings, but ultimately the next you know two weeks are really going to define what this team is going to be about. So yes. we'll see how that goes. I mean,
1: we're starting. With the Padres, you got to hope that John Gray is here sometime very, very soon.
3: Sunday's starter is still listed as TBA. Yeah. That seems to be, right now, the spot. Yes. But who knows? Who at this point? In all reality, who knows? Who
1: damn knows?
3: Uh, John Gray is going to be, I think, a rather lengthy... break between appearances for him because the triple a leagues are just coming off of their all-star game which occurred on wednesday so john gray made his final appearance before the all-star game he last pitched on the 12th uh so five days ago and as of right now i do not believe that he is listed as a starter for albuquerque coming up over the next two or three days um so that seems to be where it is uh tonight gyre jurgens goes for the albuquerque isotopes tomorrow it's aaron laffey and then they do have john gray listed as sunday's starter but we'll see but that can change we shall see so yeah it's as much eight and, <laughs> and a half back <laughs> in the wild
1: card man <laughs> eight and a half back in the wild card
3: uh but you know if you read the local newspaper and um people who enjoy blocking people on twitter quote the spring training mantra of being a legitimate contender and playing meaningful games in september rings hollow now dun 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 right.
1: oh sorry whatever. Well, could you hear my winking motion that i was making over the microphone
3: <laughs> whatever uh so until next week uh we we have yet to get anybody from the Boise Hawks on so that Ooh, that's needs right. to happen as well because I need to ask them about that giant uh blimp and if yeah, it we effectively we've really dropped the, the
1: ball on that one not yeah. gonna lie yeah. we've really
3: that is true. So uh, we'll we'll venture out there. We also, I think now we just need to stalk uh, our favorite national writers who follow us on Twitter. Because uh, Jesse Specter was like one of our favorites. Uh, I think follows you. Rob Nyer, yes. for some reason followed me the other day. So I think nice. we just need to be like, hey,
1: do you do you guys want to come on and <laughs> Do you guys want to talk wanna, about things on a free Rockies podcast? You you want to talk about a team that's in the last place hundreds. right now in the middle of July?
3: <laughs> Did you notice the, the Twitter troll that called us fanboys last week? I did not. I was oh, a little that was busy. Fun. That was fun. And I said, yes, our two jobs with national media outlets make us fanboys. And he said, fine, apologists then. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> you obviously are very new to our shtick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you've been hanging around for too long. But anyway, fanboy. Yeah,
1: you uh, get out of here, you fanboy.
3: Yeah, enjoy uh, Enjoy getting back to the grind. Hashtag grind show.
1: Right? Hashtag rise and grind. Hashtag bless. Hashtag blessed show. Hashtag, Hashtag blessed and grind.
3: Can't stop that <laughs> <laughs> i'm surprised that i'm sure minor leaguers use that yeah, <laughs> probably all right till next all week right. uh we'll talk to you then when pete
4: rose joins the show
1: Bye. bye
2: A way to escape A way to share what I am feeling So that you can relate And honestly I never meant to be in the spot I used to go to church Now it doesn't happen a lot And I'm ashamed I let the devil into my head I probably should have been at work But I was smoking instead I'm afraid This possibly is my last shot Sky's the limit So I'm just hoping that I blast off yes, he had a passion in mind, then his mom kept saying that he's one of a kind. He had the strength to make it through with the look in his eyes. He had a natural born talent, didn't know at the time. Started making new friends, didn't care about the past. School was getting harder, didn't care enough to ask. All he cared about was things that he wanted to have. And knew that asking for a change wouldn't bring things back. The way the world is, he just had to go and learn. Making bad decisions, so his parents were concerned. Sick of all the rumors that he tried to leave behind. So instead of going forward, he was stuck on Rewind. get I know to make it big he just wanted to show he just had to prove the critics that he had what it took but he couldn't get the right people to give it a look he looked up in the sky and he started to pray nervous at first he didn't know what to say scared to ask for help pulled him out of the shade but i guess that's how he works in mysterious ways now he knew about the reason and the gift that he had he started getting impatient but he decided to relax had to realize that the things that he wanted the most wouldn't be easy to find but he was getting damn close all his old dreams seemed to drift and break away but he couldn't find guidance no one's Ain't break a leg, but what about the dream and the passion he once had? I guess it was something that he didn't want that.
1: Baggers can't be choosers. There's what? an old grocery store joke I used to tell.
3: <laughs> you are such an idiot. <laughs> oh, my God. That is, a, it, that is a dad
4: joke that I am going to use one day. Uh, make the hidden track. Let's do it.